morning. Good to see everybody today. So we continue with our series on parables, these unique little short stories that are scattered about through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus used these little stories to teach people. Um, He used them to reveal the truth about something. Sometimes he used them to conceal the truth about something, which is, I think, one of the cool things about the parables. Sometimes he used them to answer questions so people like you and I would, like, I don't know if the people that were asking Jesus, if they really knew that he was God in the flesh, I don't think they, they did. I mean, they knew he had unique power and he had authority. So they would ask him a question and then in response to the question, he would speak this story. So today, the one we're going to go through is from Luke 11. And it's in response to this question. A group of guys are together, and they kind of push one guy forward in the group. And the guy says, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? And, I mean, he doesn't say, yeah, sure. I mean, it doesn't say that, anyway. But he goes right into this story, then, among other things. And the story is about a friend in need. Luke chapter 11. So that's our parable today. But here's why I picked it. I picked it because of Exodus 32, 1 through 14, and Exodus 33, 1 through 14. Those are easy to remember, and I want you to read them this week. Exodus 32, 1 through 14, and 33, 1 through 14. Probably my two favorite passages in all of the Bible about prayer. We went through those a year ago as we started our year. We started last year with a series on prayer, and we spent time there. As I went through there, I've, what was revealed there about prayer is probably the biggest reason why I pray, why I prayed all last year and why I'm still praying today. And what's revealed there is in line with our parable. When I read our parable, I could see the two. They were revealing the same things, very similar things. And so I knew we were going to do this one, but it's... So I want you to catch this. Do you pray? Why do you pray? And this is part of the reason why I pray. So here's a a little recap. Supports the parable. Exodus 32 and 33, they're both conversations between... God and a guy named Moses. Now, Moses had unprecedented access to God, literally face-to-face sometimes. We don't have that. But nevertheless, it is a conversation. It's an interplay between a man and God, which is prayer. And I want you to see what happens. In, in 32, here's, 32, the conversation happens on top of a mountain. So God is giving his law to Moses. There's a whole bunch of other people just like Moses at the bottom of the mountain. So he's the only one up there. And the thing that's the same about Moses and all the people is that God picked them. They have have no business being anywhere near God. They're not special. They're not anything. God just said, I'm going to use you. So he grabbed them all. This group of people at the bottom of the mountain, they started with a single family, Abraham, Nothing special about them at all. And then he, underneath their blessing, underneath God's blessing, that family grew into a nation. It got so big that other nations enslaved them because they were afraid of them. And then God, because he picked them, he broke them free from that. And then from that point on, he's just led them, fed them. He's been incredibly good to them. 
all the way up to the bottom of this mountain. He's still being good to them on top of the mountain because he's giving them his law. And who is the law for? I say this probably. Who's the law for? Thou shalt not kill. Who's it for? Thank you. You guys, listen. So he's still being good. But in the giving of the law, it's taking too long. So they melt down their jewelry and they make a golden cow. They call the cow the right name. They call it Jehovah. They call it Yahweh. They give it the right name, but it's a chunk of metal. God sees it from the top of the mountain and he tells Moses, stand back. I am so tired of those people. They are hard-hearted and stiff-necked. They have become altogether worthless to me and I'm going to destroy them. And Moses says, don't. Don't roll it out that way. And then he reasons with God. Not that God is unreasonable, because he's not, but that's just the prayer. He reasons with him. He says, God, consider your name. Consider the renown of your name and all the nations that are left. We're the one, but there's all kinds of nations. What will they say about you? What will the people like, what will the Egyptians say about you? The Egyptians might say, well, yeah, the God of Israel is powerful. He's more powerful than us. He's more powerful than our gods, but he's crazy because, yeah, he broke them free from our grasp, but he only did it so he can take them out in the desert and kill them himself. You don't want people to say that about you. Consider the renown of your name, and don't do it. And God relents. Because prayer changes things. Prayer causes things to happen that would not happen if we did not pray. And I believe that. I believe it because God revealed it. Not because I want to believe it. I believe it because he revealed it. Exodus 33. One chapter later, same two, God says, do you know where we're going? Say, yeah, we're going to the promised land. It's over this river. It's up there. And God says, okay, you take them and lead them out from here, but I'm not going with you. I will not go before you. Now listen, I'll send an angel. He'll clear everything out. You'll get the land. It'll be fine. But I'm not going with you because if I go with you, I will kill you on the way. He literally says that. You, I am so tired of this. If I go, I'll just kill you. So go. This is, this is the God that sent the Christ. I just want you to see a larger picture of who God is. I, what I read, I'm like, he's so frustrated with people. I will kill you if I go. So Moses sets up a tent of meeting outside the camp, and he goes and he prays. And he says this over and over again. They, when he goes to the tent, they can see the presence of God come over the tent. So they meet and they converse, and he says, if you have found favor with me, and for whatever reason God did, he's like, 
then don't, if you're not going to go, then don't send us out, because all we have is your presence. The only thing that Israel has is, we are God's people. If you're not there, it doesn't work. We can say all day long, we are God's chosen people. And they're like, well, where is he? Oh, yeah, well, he, he got frustrated and left. All we have is you. If you won't go, don't send us. And God says, okay, I'll go. Because it matters. Prayer changes things. God has decided that one of the things that will make him act in the world is prayer. Not in everything. We don't see that. I'm only saying what I see, what I read. It, he doesn't act only because we pray. Lots of times, God just does what he's going to do because he's God and he can. But sometimes, in some things, he limits himself to the prayers of his people. God has chosen to limit himself to the prayers of his people. I don't know why, but God has decided that that's what he's going to do. On those issues and some things, he's saying, if you do, I will, but if you don't, I won't. You don't have because you don't ask, because I've decided that's part of the way that I'm going to act in the world. If you can participate, if your life is unfolding and you don't have because you don't ask, then I say, ask. And I came out of that and I started to ask. I made, if I can participate in the unfolding of my life through prayer, am I going to do that? Absolutely. I believe big enough about God that I read, I'm, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask. And so I did. And I made a list of stuff things that were near and dear to my heart, things that were near and dear that I thought, I did give some consideration to God's heart. I mean, not everything I was asking for was perfect because I'm not perfect. Of course I was asking for things that were in some way outside. I mean, I, they, they weren't the highest good maybe for God. I can't know everything that he wants, but I know that I, I know what I want. I know that I love him. I know that I'm trying to follow him. So I just put it down for my kids, for my business, for this church, for my house, whatever. I put it all down and I prayed. And over the course of the year, I am here to tell you, over the course of the year, I saw God move on every single one of those. Now, it wasn't everything that I wanted when I, some of them couldn't be answered right away. It was impossible. But I would ask, I get, when I would see him move on something, I would just put, it's in my phone. Because my phone is out all the time. So I have it in front of me all the time. And when he would move on one of those, I would put just a little smiley face behind it. And I had one, one that had gone I mean, it was in progress, but it had gone essentially unfulfilled or unanswered. And on the 29th of December, it took an entire year, but on the 29th of December, it, he said yes. And I filled it in. There's some, it does something to you when you see him, when you, when you see that right in front of you. 
that I have believed big enough about God and I have prayed and I see him respond to that. It, do, it just builds it up inside of you. Do you pray? One of the reasons we don't is because we don't think it matters because I've tried, it doesn't, it doesn't do any good anyway. But that's not what he says. Act on what he says, not what you think. Act on what he says, not what you think, and pray. And this parable today, it says the same thing. Ask. So here's the intro to the parable. Sorry, that was a long intro. To, that was an intro to the intro. I like this. I read that when I'm coming across and I see a friend in need, and I, I just know this is the one. Listen to this intro. This is from Matthew Henry, and I do read his commentary a lot, but this is what he says. This is what our parable will do. This is why we have the parable. This Luke 11, 1 through 13, this is why we have it and what it will do. Listen to what he said. Man is a brute. He is a monster. He never prays. It's so true. He never gives glory to his maker. He does not own his dependence upon he does not own his dependence upon God. And I think that is very true. I think in general, we do not own our dependence upon God. Everything we have is from him. Everything we have. The breath that we draw is from him. Literally, it all comes through his hand. He has set the times for us to live, the places for us to live, everything has been knit together by him, and we easily go through our day. I would say hundreds of days, probably thousands of our days, and never once even think about him. Not even one time. We do not own our dependence upon God, and our dependent, he's all we have. Those opening sentences are so true about me. I am a brute. I am a monster. I do not pray, and I do not own my dependence upon God. And I'll bet they're true about you, too. We do not appreciate his favor. Therefore, one of the great designs of Christianity is to teach a man to pray. He must. He must be instructed on how to pray. The duty of prayer must be enforced upon him. And this is my favorite, number three. He must be encouraged to expect advantage in his life if he does. I want to encourage you this morning, and this passage is going to do that, that you should expect advantage in your life if you do. Not because I say so, but because of what God has revealed. Ready? Here we go. He says, in Luke 1, 13. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And then he said to them, here's the parable, 
Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So let me stop right there. Culturally, there's a lot going on here. In that day, if someone showed up at your house at midnight and you couldn't provide for them, it would be incredibly embarrassing. So there's urgency behind this. I'm not sure you and I are going to each other's house knocking on our door at midnight because we don't have three loaves of bread. Context, all right? Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, don't bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. More context. They're one-room houses. It just means we're all in bed, okay? We're all laying around the living room, all right? And if I get up, I'm going to step on one of my kids' heads. I'm not coming to the door. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence. Do you know what that means? He won't go away. He just keeps knocking. And it's because of that, in some translations, as importunity, because of that persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So I tell you, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to, one, to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If he asks for an egg, you'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So teach us to pray, and then we get that. All right. So the question, I don't know why the question comes to Jesus. I would like to believe that I would ask it. That prayer would matter enough to me that I would actually ask. I'm not sure. This is what I think, and it doesn't say it in here, but I think that the, these disciples that are asking, I think they want to be able to do what Jesus does. They have a front row seat to Jesus in all things. They have a front row seat to his prayer. They actually ask him this. They wait for him to finish praying before they ask. So they see him praying all the time. They see him pray in the morning. They see him pray during the day. They watch him disappear at night, and sometimes he prays all night. And then the next day, so they, have, they see his prayer, and then they also see his life, and his life is filled with the miraculous. So maybe they connected the two. I mean, he prays all night, and then the next day, people get healed. People stretch out their hands. Storms calm down. There's all kinds of stuff. So maybe they've connected the two. This man prays, and these things happen, and we want the same. Maybe it's a power grab. I don't know, but they ask. So he says, they ask this, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples, which means this, teach us to pray in a less mechanical way. Because listen, these guys are Jews. They know how to pray, all right? They grew up, the whole, their whole, the guys that are asking, their whole life centered around temple and going to church or whatever. I mean, they just... They, it was all, they had prayers when they got up in the morning. They had prayers before they ate breakfast. They had prayers after they ate breakfast. They had prayers before they went to school. They, they knew how to pray, but it was just mechanical. There was a phrase, like they were memorized. Uh, here's one. 
This is one, like, Jews still pray today. This is what they say when they get up. If I can find it. Here it is. You get up and you say this. This is what they're taught. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. It's actually the start of lots of their prayers. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. This is when you wake up. The soul you have given me is pure. You created it. You formed it. You breathed it into me. You guard it while it, was with, while it is within me. But you're going to take it away from me and restore it to me in the time to come. But as long as I have this soul within me, I will thank you, my God, God of my ancestors, master of all works, Lord of all souls. Amen. Then they eat breakfast. Is that how you talk? Master of all works, Lord of all souls, amen, right? So they knew how to pray. It was just mechanical. My wife grew up Catholic. She, has, she can rattle off prayers. <laughs> you know, glory bees and Hail Marys and all that. I mean, she can say them fast. Like, what, what is that? It's just, well, I don't know. It's just what we were taught. It's similar. I'm not saying these guys are Catholic. I'm just saying it's similar. There is a way to pray in which you just, you're just reading words that you're told to say, and then there's, but Jesus doesn't pray like that. So teach us to pray like John, teach us to pray like you. And so Jesus said, all right, say this. When you pray, say, number one, Father, hallowed be thy name. So let's talk about Father. Prayer is supposed to be a conversation with someone you know. There should be an easiness in your prayer because of a relationship that you have with the one that you're praying to. So my question to you this morning is, is there an easiness in your prayer? Or is it kind of mechanical, like, dear Lord? Or is it, hey, Dad? My son had a basketball coach, and they would pray before the games, you know, in the locker room, and the coach would ask the different kids to pray. And some of them were like, it was just easy. They're like, oh, God, you know, help us to do this and help us to do that and hit our shots and play good defense, and, which is a prayer he never answered, by the way, the whole season. <laughs> that prayer went completely unanswered for 15 games. But it was just easy. Some kids, and then, and then it would come around to some, some other one, and they'd be like, dear Lord, you know, why? Because they don't, they don't know. I'm, I'm not saying anything about them. I'm just saying there's an easiness that comes out of relationship, and there's a, a distance that comes because you don't know. You're just trying to fill it in. And he's saying, It's like talking to your dad. So what is yours like? There is a, there's a term that's used to describe salvation. Salvation is described lots of ways. This term in in Ephesians chapter 1 is called adoption. It's Ephesians 1.5. God has predestined us for adoption 
into sonship through Christ. God has decided that you would be his because of Jesus. Family. You're brought into that. So if you are someone that can hear, can you hear this? Have you said, this is true about me, if you can hear this, that he bore our sin in his body on the tree, taking it from you to him as a sinner then, numbered with the transgressors. God hated him as he would have hated us and poured out his wrath on him, killed it, took it all away so that you could be free. And it was a gift from God to you. Does that sound good to anybody? And have you owned it? Then God has decided. If you can hear that and it sounds good to you, then God has decided that you are going to be his. That God has decided that you are his kid. Pray like it. Not everyone can say, not everyone can pray, Father. Because he's not. So the first order in this, maybe the very, if you can't, maybe the first order of business when it comes to all this stuff about prayer is to believe. Because maybe he's not your father. And you are to believe. And if you can't believe, like you've come up to it and you're just like, I can't, here's your prayer. Because this is actually in the New Testament as well. Here's your prayer. Lord, I want to believe, but I can't help my unbelief. Help me to believe, because I can't get there. And that may be as far as you need to go today on all this stuff about prayer. Help me to believe, because I don't even know about all this stuff, and I sure don't know you. So, Father, hallowed be your name. So, what he's saying is the first request that Christ teaches us to pray is this. And it, it, it's counter to us, which is why this is so important. God, make your name great in my life. May your name be made great in my life. Now, I'm making it personal. I think in general saying, may your name be made great, maybe across the world, but that's not how I pray. Is that how you pray? Do you have a concern for the wider world when you pray? What's your first concern when you pray? Who is your first concern when you pray? You, me. So let's just bring it back to here. The first request is, God, make your name great in my life. Bring about things in my life, bring about my response to things in my life that people who watch me live will say, wow, God is good. That would be the hallowing of his name. That would be the honoring of his name from your life. So my question to you is this. Does anybody look at your life and how you're living it and say, and come away after interacting with you, and come away and say, wow, God is good. Because that's God's primary concern. God's primary concern with our life is that he would be honored by it. 
I mean, Jesus, it's all through the Word. It's all through the Word. God will tell it. So Jesus is really just teaching us to pray in line with what God has revealed. And all from beginning to end, and I'll show you in a little bit, from beginning, God has said, when it comes to me and you, or me and you, it's me and you. That my concern for my name is here, and my concern for you is down here. And it's not that I don't care about you, I just care about this more. So you can pray whatever you want down here, but if it goes counter to making my name great or my name being glorified, then it's not happening because this is my primary concern. God's name is central. God is for God more than He's for you. And I went my entire, I, I grew up in church. I went to, I, I went to church four hours every Sunday for like 16 years. I think I've been to church more than you. Never once did I hear that. I heard that God is for me, and He is. I'm not saying that you're not on the page, but you know what's above you on the page? The glory of His name, that He will be honored. And it doesn't really matter how it happens, that's His concern. And it's everywhere. And we're going through a tough time here at church, trying to lead this church, and came into some confrontation, and, and I was being confronted with these things that I didn't really know were there. I just thought God was crazy about me. Because all those years in church, I heard that he loves me, and he sent his son for me, and God's primary business is to save us. And so, God is busy, but what he's, he's only thinking about us, and so it's all geared here. But, it's, it's, but that's not what he says. I put some notes from a sermon, and I, wa I want you to listen to the sermon. I think, I think it's excellent. I think it's excellent because it's in line with the Word. And the sermon is God is for God. It's by Matt Chandler. And I put some notes in there for it. But what it does is it, it lays out what you're going to see is there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. I mean, this is just a sample. But from beginning to end, God is saying, what I'm primarily concerned with is the glory of my name. So we can kind of go through some of those. But you're going to see a whole bunch. The thing that they all have in common. Oh, I didn't bring a bulletin with me. Will you bring me that for just a second? I'm sorry. I need to read the back of it. Okay, here's what you'll find with all of these. That there's some about Israel, there's some about Jesus, there's some about us, like all the, but what you're going to find in every single one of these is, I'm going to do this for the glory of my name. I'm going to do this for the glory of my name. So let's just look at Israel. We talk about Israel all the time. What's the point of Israel? Why do we have this chosen people? So that we can see that God is exceedingly good. This is what he says. God created us for his glory. We're here not because God was lonely. I mean, God didn't say, man, what I really need is a bunch of hard-hearted, stiff-necked people to frustrate the daylights out of me. Let's make people. He wasn't lonely. He didn't need it. Why did he make us? For his glory. God called Israel for why? His glory. 
They started with this family. It was Abraham. He grew him up. But the whole thing, even the enslavement and the breaking them free, all of that was for his glory. I picked them for my glory. God, ra- This is Romans 9. God raised up Pharaoh to show his power and glorify his name. Pharaoh comes into the story. Even bad things happen to Israel. And whose hand did they go through? God let bad things happen to his chosen people. Why? For his glory. He let them be enslaved by this guy, and he let it get so bad just so that he could come in at the end of the day and rescue it and crush him. And when he crushed him with 10 miraculous signs from heaven, whose name was lifted high across the planet? God's was. So you can be in the middle of God's chosen people, and he's going to let something rain down on your head, and it's going to be okay because ultimately it is for his glory. And if we don't get that, here's why I think this is so important. If we don't get that, we will stop praying. If we don't understand that God is for God at the center and glory is more important than comfort, ease, and happiness, we will quit because if we stay at the center of everything, and we are not at the center of everything, but if we stay there and we pray that way, we will quit because in this life you will bleed. You will bleed. I am bleeding. Who else is bleeding? And if you think that it's all about you, you will quit. Jesus teaches us to pray. Hallowed be your name so you don't quit. It's not about you. It's not about me. This is the MVP of the prayer. This is the MVP because without it, we will quit. And you can be buried under junk. And if you don't have hallowed be thy name, you'll quit. But you can be buried under junk and have it and still pray. Because it can still bring good attention to his name. And he will allow it. Because you and your comfort is not central to his thought. It is the glory of his name. There's a bunch more. God is for God more than he is for you. The rest of it's pretty good. I want you to keep taking notes. God is for God. So, now, he says, next, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come just means this. 
kingdom is rule. God, rule over me. Because when you don't and I act on my own, I ruin everything. I can't be anything you want me to be. I can't know what you want me to know. I can't say what you want me to say. I can't love what you want me to love. And I can't hate what you want me to hate unless you actually come to me and take over and do it for me. So take over. Give me daily bread. Number three. This is the part we're good at. This is the part we've been waiting. My breadlet, give me what I need today. Give me what I need today. And my, my bread list is huge. This is, go crazy on this part. Put whatever you want. Put whatever you want. I, I'm praying for all kinds of things. I'm praying for daily bread for me includes professors at Purdue. It includes getting certain grades in physics 172. I'm praying for it. Not for me, but for those that I love very much. My bread includes... Favor. I'm asking for favor in all kinds of areas. I'm asking God for favor, like, give me a win with this group of people, and I need a win with this group of people. And I am asking over and over and over again, like, make, cause it to go well with me. Why would I not? If I can participate in the unfolding, I say, your bread list should be huge. Ask. Just ask. That's what I do. But Nehemiah, you should read Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a guy that served the Lord. So he had a, he had a life and he had a very particular path, a, a job to go do for God. So he went and did it. And it was a very hard job and it just, it beat the daylights out of him. But at the end of it, after he had done the job, you, you should listen to Nehemiah pray. I pray like he does. He says, God, I have served you and I did this thing and I didn't want to go do it, but I did it and I did it. And so because I've served you, bless me. And I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying that Nehemiah is right. I'm like, that's how I do it. I'm like, I have served you. I am your servant. I love you. Bless me. And I'm not going to stop praying until you bless me. Bread. Ask him. Why would we not? Ask him. Bread. Forgive us. Never overstep yourself. Never overstep yourself. You can only pray because God woke you up to the gospel. You can only pray, Father, because God woke you up. You were part of the kingdom of darkness, and he brought you into the kingdom of light. I know very well what it is to be in the kingdom of darkness, and I know what it is to be in the kingdom of light, and I had nothing to do with it. Remember all that he has forgiven you, and ask him to keep doing it. Remember who you were and who he turned you into, and it's all grace, and your whole life your whole life is on the grace of God, all of it. And every day you trample on it. Every day I trample on the grace of God, every day. Don't forget yourself. Don't forget yourself and pretend that somehow you've crafted it yourself. You have nothing. You are nothing and he is everything. Ask for forgiveness every day. And the last one is protect me. These are five requests. The last one is protect me. As much as you have a savior, you have an enemy. As much as you have Jesus, a savior, you have an enemy that is Satan. And we, we don't curse the darkness, we proclaim the light. That's what we do. I was taught that early on here. 
But you have him. He's there. And I have told you with great passion from this platform that you have an enemy that wants to destroy you. He, this is the end. He wants you damned to hell like he is. And it doesn't matter how he gets you there. That's what he wants. So if he can make your life great, as long as you are either loving something more than God or hating God, either way, he's happy with it. So you might be incredibly blessed right now. Because you have so much money, you don't even need God. And he's just going to keep it coming because that will damn you to hell. He doesn't care. Be happy. Or if you've turned, if, you, if you've been awake to the gospel and God saved you, maybe he'll just ruin. Maybe he will just ruin everything you love. He'll trash it. He'll try to damn your kids to hell. He doesn't care. But what he wants you to do is he wants you to curse God. He wants you to turn you. He wants you to believe so bad that God doesn't care, and so he'll do whatever it takes. So it's going to be one or the other. And he says, ask that God protects you from that, from him. I think it's a good idea. There's a conversation that's recorded in Job, and I don't, it's, God reveals it. It's a conversation that happens between him and Satan, and I don't know how many times this conversation happened or happens. I tend to think it happens, not just happened once. God revealed it for a reason. If he put it in there, then he, he wants us to know that it goes on, or at least it went on. I think we can say that it happened one other time in the New Testament. I but still personally think it happens today. The conversation is this. This is Job. And Job says this. I mean, here's this. This is revealed. Kind of snapshot. We're underneath protection here. But this is a conversation that happened. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan said, I've been going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There are none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan said, does Job fear you for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? But if you just strike him, you've blessed everything that he does. Of course he's going to praise you. You bless everything he's done. You, re you reach out your hand and you touch him and he will curse you to your face. And God says, all right, go ahead. But you can only go this far. And Job's life disintegrates. And who was behind it? He made it look like it was God. Because he's an, he's an awful being. He made it look like God was doing it. And Job's wife actually believed it. Curse God and die, you old man. God doesn't care about you. But it was Satan. And God let him do it. In the New Testament, Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. I don't know what that means. All I know is it's not good. 
in some way. There's some interplay that goes on. And I, I think what hangs in the balance between the two is glory. What hangs in the balance on Job's life? He will honor me. He will still glorify my name, even though you do this. It's like it's still this peace that's there. And so Peter gets sifted by Satan and it goes terrible for him. I think, I think we're still sifted. I know there's people in this congregation that are being sifted. Because it's real. So ask that you not be. Pray for protection. And then this last one. Now we get to the parable. It's short, I promise. All that, now the parable. And the parable says this. Here's the point. Make those requests and, six, never give up because God is good. So after those five, then he tells the story. He tells the story of this guy who goes to this other guy's house, and he's just knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And he's like, go away. He's frustrated. Go away. My kids, we're all here. I'm going to just go away. But eventually the bread gets to the door. I need three loaves. He just knocks and knocks and knocks. I need three loaves. Go away. But it says that the bread gets to the door. What brings the bread to the door? Ultimately, it's not that they were friends. It was his what? Persistence. It was his impudence. It was his importunity. Look at this. It just means this. Offensively bold. Shamelessly persistent. I will not go away. You actually see it all through the Bible. Guys just latching on to God saying, I won't let go until you bless me. We're taught that. We're taught to do that. Jesus includes, he's saying, you be shamelessly persistent. Those five requests. Will the first one shape your request? Absolutely it will shape your request. It will. But you never give up. But it's, but it's not, he's saying, you have a persistence in your prayer. Those five plus persistence. But it's not just this. Because the parable doesn't end there. It's not like, okay, bug God to death. End of the lesson. Because it goes on. There's more to it. The ending verses are actually comparison. It's like, but God, because, and remember this, this is probably as big a point as the persistence point. Because God is good. It's comparative. Here is the point of the parable. If importunity, do we have it? If you have time to write this down, this is a important thing to write down. If importunity, here's the reason that he compares it to, could prevail with a man who was angry at it. Who was angry at the importunity? The guy inside the house. Go away. My kids are in bed. I don't want to do this. If it could prevail against this guy who was angry with it, how much more Will it prevail with a God who is infinitely kind and ready to do good? The last verses compare the God you're praying to, the door you're knocking on, with the door of somebody like you and I. Listen, importunity will work with us, and we are evil. That's what he says in the rest of the parable. You are, you're evil, and you answer the door. 
you're evil and you answer the door. Importunity works for you and you're evil. How much more when you bang on the door of God who sent the Christ, who is infinitely good and ready to be good again. You have to remember when you go to him in prayer, you can never forget that he is good. He's good. He's good. God is good. Pray. Let's pray. Sometimes, God, it is hard to remember that you are good. So thanks for the parable. Amen.